If you are new with us, we are in the book of Galatians. This is our third week in Galatians. We're yet 10 verses in, and so we are at a blistering pace, but it will pick up in the weeks to come. So um, if you don't know, that's where we are. Um, and if you also don't know, if you need to turn there, if you don't know this, um, I herniated a disc in my back last month. And so for all of you that have been praying for me, have checked in on me, have dropped a love bomb at my house, uh, we're really grateful for that. We're really grateful for the way that you've loved us in that season. Uh, I was laid out for about five days, missed a day of, of, of church and our gathering, which never happens. And, um, and so nonetheless, that has been kind of my life is recovering from that. But I need you to hear the bigger story. And I shared this uh, at our partner-only meeting a couple weeks ago, but I want to share it today because I think there's um, a lesson in here for all of us as we go through a day when we're talking about one verse about the fear uh, of approval or the fear of rejection, therefore an approval idol. Um, so on a Monday in August, late August, I'm running through my neighborhood. And um, as it, often the times if I'm running or if I'm mowing the yard, the Lord likes to talk to me during that time because I'm not in front of a screen or in front of a person. And so he's got my undivided attention, usually with a podcast or some kind of song in the background. But he got my attention that day and he said, hey, I want you to like encourage your dad with these words. And I was like, sounds good, Jesus. I'll do that when he's on his deathbed. <laughs> Literally my thought process. And I was like, I'll just do it then. And, um, and then it was very quick to say like, that's not okay. That's, a, that's actually a terrible way to encourage your dad is to wait until he's dying. Uh, that's terrible. And so, and so nonetheless, it did not deter me. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll like, you know, can't do that kind of encouragement over the phone. And so maybe I'll ask him to, to lunch or something, which I don't ever do, and so that's gonna be awkward, but I'll just do that. And so I thought, I was like, dude, that'll happen. Like maybe Christmas, clearly it's later on in my life. Two days later, I'm in almost the exact square on the sidewalk when I herniated my disc in my back. So I'm jumping over uh, sprinklers like a, a gazelle, of course, what would you expect? And, um, and then like had to do one of these numbers and then my back went out and I laid out on the ground and then uh, walked home like a zombie. And so I just like literally dragged my foot, breathing heavily and got there eventually, collapsed on my bedroom floor and yelled uh, things that I can't say in here and that young children should not hear their pastor say. So, but um, in that process, um, here's what I know. Uh, because it all kind of came to, to fruition the next day. That was a Wednesday, then come Thursday. My dad shows up at my house See, what you don't know is that my dad is a retired chiropractor. And he shows up at my house the day after I herniate my back and he does his adjustment thing. I thought I was near death when he did the thing. And then it feels awesome because that's what chiropractors do. They bring you close to death and then you get done. You're like, oh man, <laughs> Whew. that was good. I know that no one else should do that. Like no Steven Seagal numbers on my neck, but... It was really nice, and so if you don't know who Steven Seagal is, God bless you, and may the Lord be with you. Uh, but that was kind of my life, right? And so I get there, and he, does it, and he does his thing, and I'm laying on my bed, nearly paralyzed, and I'm like, why do I wanna hang out with my dad right now? Lord, what is going on inside of me? Literally having this conversation with the Lord, and he goes, hey, remember that word of encouragement? And inside, I was like, no, I don't wanna do that right now. And I wrestled, and I got up, out of the bed and him and my wife are talking and they're hanging out and I finally walked out of the bedroom and I go, hey dad, the Lord afflicted me to bring you to my home. And he was like, what? 
And I was like, I'm sorry. I just feel like that's what's happened in this, in this week. Like, the, like he gave me a word for you. I put it off and the Lord afflicted me to bring you here. I must tell you these words. And so I encouraged my dad and it was awkward and it was weird and I felt weird and I had to do it in front of my wife, which was doubly weird because now it's like all these layers of vulnerability and fear and approval and rejection that I'm struggling with in the moment of trying to be obedient to what Jesus told me to do some three days before. So that's my story. And I hope you hear not a story of obedience because that misses the point. I want you to hear a story of struggle. I want you to hear a story of dealing with fear because it's in those moments that I think the Lord kind of shows up or we push him out like I tried to do. I'll just wait until his deathbed. That makes sense to me. I'll wait until Christmas. All the birthdays are over. All the kids have had their birthdays. I got at least three months to think about how I'm gonna do this and push it off even further. No, no, it's gonna happen right now. Against my will, he's going to give me a deep affliction, which I'm okay with, by the way, because if I'm disobedient to the Lord, the Lord has every right to afflict me so that I will become obedient unto him. And I was being disobedient. I was delaying obedience, which is disobedience. But there was this great treasure that I found at the end of all of that that I think Paul also has for us. And the great treasure is this, that there is far more joy in living an obedient and faithful life than you ever thought possible. See, I would, I, I'm, I'm okay with God afflicting me because the pain that I might um, have had, although it was affecting everyone else in my family, and I, I'm not, I don't like that, but I'm okay with the, the, the words afflicting me, and I'm okay with the Lord doing that for me, not to me, for me, because there's such greater joy than the comfort that I could find running around my neighborhood trying not to be old. Reminder, getting old. If the Achilles tear last year wasn't enough to remind me of that, surely the herniated disc is good enough to remind me of that. I want you to hear this story of a layered struggle to be vulnerable, to not always do the right thing, but also just struggle with the Lord in the moments. Also this great fear that I would be rejected, that I would be humiliated, that I would fail in saying the right things in the right way, or that my wife might look at me and be like, what? are you doing? Or the way that my dad looked at me and goes, I don't believe that he afflicted you. That's not good. And I'm like, but I, I think that's what's going on right now. I can't, I can't escape it. I know it makes us uncomfortable, but it was the reality. See, I think that's the thing that, that helps drive Paul in this verse. Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? If I was seeking the approval of my dad, or my wife, or all of you, I wouldn't tell that story. I also wouldn't have done it. Or do I seek the approval of God? Do I live from the approval of God? See, if there's one big question that's before us all today, will we live for approval? Or will we live from approval? There's a big difference in how we live and what happens as a result of those two lives for approval, for the approval of man, or even for the approval of God, or from the approval that God has already given us in 
Christ. That's the thing that, that buoyed uh, Paul here in Galatians 1.10, is that he is living from his approval in Christ. See, if you look at the letter to Galatians, he is dealing with the reality of people that he loves dearly walking away from Jesus. And they're not saying, no, thank you, Jesus. They're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus, and I'd also love my good works. I love Jesus, but I'd also uh, enjoy this, that, and the other. Like, these are the things that bring security, comfort uh, with God is believing in Jesus, but also adding unto Jesus. So for them in that context, we've talked about this word for the now three weeks, it was circumcision, is that you had to add unto the works of God the act of circumcision, because after all, Jesus was a Jew. And if you want to become like Jesus, then you need to become Jewish. In what way do you become Jewish? Become circumcised. You, you adhere to the food laws. You, you observe festivals that they may have. You must do these things. Again, this is the gospel. Not that you can do these things. It's you must do these things in order to really follow Jesus. That's the gospel. And what Paul has just said in verses six through nine is, I'm astonished at you all for so quickly defecting from your loyalty to Jesus. Not the gospel, not a thing, not news, but the God who called you by grace. I'm so, I'm perplexed by you, Galatians. How, how could you be doing that so quickly? And so he's drawing them in and also correcting false belief. Do we not have people like that in our lives? They aren't just overtly saying no to Jesus, but they're also going, I love Jesus, but I also like all the good things that I bring to Jesus. Do we not have people in our lives? I can say, if you're sitting in this room, you have people in your lives that are doing that. I'm one of those people. On a daily basis, do I forget the good news that Jesus paid it all for me, that it truly is finished? But instead, I, I, I measure my worth, my value, my happiness based on results, or some fruit that I'd like to measure, usually something I'm really good at, not usually something I'm really bad at. That's just usually how this works, right? And so you see this all throughout the book of Galatians. It's not just one, six through 10, that he's astonished that they're deserting, and he says, am I now seeking your approval? But also in 3.1, there's some hard truths that Paul is gonna lay down for the Galatians here. There's some hard truths that Paul is gonna lay down for us people that call the grove home. And that is, oh foolish Galatians in, in chapter three, verse one. Who has bewitched you? Love that word. That's like, who uses bewitched? The apostle Paul. Who has bewitched you? Look at, I mean, if you keep going in verse 11 of chapter four, this is something you never want to hear a leader say over you. I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Look at Paul. Look at what the Lord is saying to us. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have you categorized people in your life as enemies because they've told you the truth? Paul is combating the same type of reaction and it all has to do with this one big thing, approval. Will we live for it or will we live from it? So the thing that really motivated Paul was this idea of being approved by God and nothing else mattered. So will we, leave, will we live for the approval of man or from the approval of God in Christ? Will we live that way? And before we answer that question, hopefully internally, 
Let me unpack this journey of fear and faith because that's really at the heart of what Paul is talking about. Will I live a life of faith or will I surrender to a life of fear? I will say this to begin. Faithfulness is found on the other side of fear. Faithfulness is found on the other side of fear. And here's the thing about fear and here's the thing about faithfulness. You can't go around it. You gotta go through it. You see this all throughout the scriptures. Like when Peter is on the sea, one of my favorite passages in Matthew 14, when Peter's on the sea and he, he freaks out, the Bible says he got afraid and what did Jesus tell Peter when he pulled him back out of the water and got him in the boat? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's equating fear and doubt in that context. Doubt, not all doubt, doubt is bad and not all fear is bad, but in that context, how you of little faith, you didn't believe me, you didn't trust me, and said you saw with your own eyes and you became afraid. Or if Peter's not your jam, how about a guy named Jairus? Jairus' daughter fell asleep. The villagers go get Jesus and they bring Jesus to Jairus' daughter and the, the, the villagers are kind of going, what? in the world. Why are we bringing Jesus here? The girl is dead. And Jesus, you can just see him rolling in and you can see him going into the upper room where this girl's been laid to sleep. And he goes, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Everybody get out except the family. Y'all come on in. And then he tells them this. What does he say? Do not fear. Only believe. Have faith. Exercise trust. Believe or trust in Jesus and get fear out of the room. I think there's some, some, something in there for us today. And those are two like, really good stories out of the New Testament. But I think the best story for us that we need to be reminded of is this story from the Old Testament in Numbers 13 and 14. When the Israelites are going up to the land of Canaan, this is the first lap around the desert. And God says, I have given you this land. And so what do the Israelites do? They take 12 guys, 12 spies, and they send these spies into the land to figure out who's there, what they're up against. It's a military conquest, and they're gonna, it's just something they've never done before. It's totally foreign to them. But God's promised them the land. And so they go in, and they send the 12 spies in, and 10 people, 10 of those guys come back with a bad report, and the report is, these guys, this whole people, this whole land, they're giants. They might even be Nephilim, which if you don't know who the Nephilim is, are, I can't even talk, read Genesis 6, it'll freak you out. It's basically the reason why God flooded the earth. They might even be related to the Nephilim, but they're giants. I mean, look at these huge grapes that we just found. They're eating these. Like, it's huge. It's crazy. We can't do this. We're grasshoppers, and they're giants. And that's the report that comes back, and what happens? Fear breaks out, except for two guys come back. Same, they, same, they, they, they had the same journey, but they saw with different eyes, Joshua and Caleb. And what did they say to the nation of Israel when they're debating on whether or not to take the land in faith against all military strategy or go do something different? Joshua and Caleb say this in Numbers 14, 7, and 10. The land which, was, which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Y'all remember now, we've been walking around the desert for like a long time. Not nearly as long as they thought they were going to be walking in, but they were walking around the desert. This land, it's a good land. If the Lord delights in us, and he does... 
He will bring us into this land and he, the Lord, almighty, king of all things, he'll give it to us. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at the vision there. Just, there's, it's, it's flowing with blessing. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people in the land for they are bread for us. They're going to eat them. We're going to eat them up for breakfast. The Lord's going to give it to us and they're like bread to us. Their protection is removed from them. Yeah, they're big, but they ain't got protection. The Lord has removed it and given it to us. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And what did they do in response, this congregation, the Israelites? Ah, and the congregation said to stone them with stones. You see, there is always going to be someone pointing you to a land that you're afraid of. And our most general and natural reaction will be, kill him! Because it makes us uncomfortable. It causes us to kill fear and ignite faith. And what will we do with that message when we get to this point in our lives, this Kadesh Barnea, where we're looking and we're going, man, I just don't know. Will we be afraid? Will we trust the Lord? You see, what we, if you kept reading Numbers 14, which we don't have time for, but let me just say to you, if you kept reading Numbers 14, what you would find, we, 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 we like tell the story of like, oh, they did laps in the desert for 40 years until they got into the promised land. Do you know what that 40 years was for? Funerals. Hundreds of thousands of funerals because the Lord declared that not one of them would go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. The two guys that came back with the good report that said, let us not be afraid of these people. Let us not rebel against the Lord. Let us go in and fight and the, light, the, the Lord will give it to us. Those two guys are the guys that made it. And for the next 40 years, they would do laps in the Lord and punishment. My prayer is that we would see that as an example and that we too, as the church, would begin to realize, man, we've got to take this fear thing seriously. We got to take this faith thing seriously. It's not about just like walking away in enjoyment in, in, once a week, but instead living Monday to Sunday faithfully. Are we dealing with fear? Yes, but faithfully trusting the Lord. Here's the deal, right, with faith. So I know this, that whether it's from military conquest or making disciples, the Lord is telling us, do not fear, have faith. God is with us. And so will we, and this, this, this constant call, do not fear failure or approval or even death, death, but instead trust the Lord who is the author of all things. And so here it is. To do this, we gotta bust this myth that faith doesn't drive for the people that we respect. Or excuse me, fear isn't around for people that we respect. Instead, fear is there. I had a conversation or several conversations here recently with leaders in our church and I will tell them like, hey, how are you, how are you like, you know, really making disciples? Is that a part of your life? Um, are we being faithful to the little things that God has given us? We, all these spiritual health checkups that we've had with all the partners of our church, we're sitting down and we're starting to kind of have those conversations back and forth that are really, really fruitful. When we get down to the getting down, I hear this. Well, you seem to not struggle with the fear of others as much as I do. You don't know what's going on inside of me. There's plenty of fear. 
But there have been many of years of defeating that and walking through that and being okay with whatever happens. And so here's kind of the analogy. I think that what we struggle with is letting fear in the driver's seat. Like, let's just say we're in a vehicle of spiritual growth and development and formation, which we are. Many a day, we find ourselves riding shotgun while fear is driving the car. Many a days, and by the way, that's kind of like going to the bar with your buddies and you're responsible, but your buddy isn't, but they drove and you still get in that car. You're like, you're gonna go home with whiskey bumps at the least. Or you're gonna go home, with, you're one step away from tragedy. That's what happens when we let fear drive the vehicle. But I also know this, that fear has a place in our lives. The Bible does say in Proverbs 9, 10, that the beginning, what does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So there is a fear that we must have. It is the fear of the Lord. And so maybe instead of trying to kick fear out of the car, we put it in its proper place. We put this fear of the Lord with us, that can drive, but the fear of approval or rejection or circumstance or whatever you might extrapolate to think might go wrong one day if you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, put that in the third row. You got a third row? I got a third row. That's where fear goes. It can be in the car, but it can't drive. You can take it with you, but it can't be in the driver's seat. The Lord and you are in the driver's seat together. Jesus, don't take the wheel, get behind the wheel and drive responsibly with the Lord in you. But faith is here. Fear is in the third row. Buckle up fear because it ain't, you ain't driving anymore. And there's this reality that we gotta lean in to with all of this. That letting fear drive is insanity. And instead, we need to be a people who let faith drive and put fear of people and circumstance and failure behind us. Paul could have easily succumbed to the fear of rejection and lived for the approval of man, but he didn't. Because he counted the worship of Jesus far greater than any safety or security that he could attain otherwise. How could he do that? If we get to Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? How could he be able to wrestle through fear and approval in such a way that we now get Galatians and we go, man, this guy's not afraid of anything. Like he's just telling it like it is all the time. It wasn't always that way for him though. But how did he get to this point? I think he came to realize one main thing about approval. And that approval is an idol. It's a false God. It will not deliver the thing that it says it will deliver. That's what Tim Keller says about idolatry. It's anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. It is a good thing that becomes a God thing. See, it's not that it's this bad thing that like, like literally my daughter walked up to me and she gave me an idol that she found on the sidewalk at Frost Elementary right here in the middle of uh, Pecan Grove is a little Hindu idol. Legit today. Wish I would have kept it for this little illustration right here. But it was this big. And she goes, what do I do with this? I go, throw it in the trash. It's fine. It's all around you. You can't deny it. Here we are in the safety of Pecan Grove. And there are, there are idols everywhere. I'm not talking about that little idol. I'm the idol of approval. This, this idea that we're going to be satisfied if we get someone else's blessing in our lives. 
instead of living from the blessing that God has already given us in Christ. See, what we know about Paul is that he was someone who had deep community with guys like Barnabas, guys like Mark John, guys like Titus and Timothy, amongst others. But what we also know is that Barnabas and Mark John weren't always with Paul. There was a season of split that the Lord used to multiply his church. And what we found later on is that either Paul repented or Mark, John, and Barnabas repented. I think we always assume, ooh, Mark, John, and Barnabas, they probably repented and saw things the, uh, the Lord's way or Paul's way. Maybe. Maybe Paul repented. We don't know. But we do know is that deep community, there was a deep principle, and that was, I will not live for your approval. I will live from the approval that I have in Christ. Approval is an idol. And so I ask the question again, maybe for the last time, maybe not, will we live for man's approval or from the approval we have in Christ? Fear of rejection is an approval idol which tells us that our self-worth, our identity, is based upon our performance and someone else's approval. So there's two things battling for our affection that, that we would perform well. We would do the right things at the right time with the right people in the right way and that because we did all those things well, someone else would go, good on you, well done. And that we go, man, they saw it. Yeah, they knew I was doing the right thing at the right time with the right way, the right tone, and they approve. That is an idol that we can so easily get caught up in from one thing to another. And so out of fear, we perform and we pretend, putting on a mask of smiles or achievement, which allows others to respect us, but they don't really ever know us. Out of fear in community, we blend in or we participate with ungodly behavior so that we don't rock the boat. I'm taking your silence like this is landing. Out of fear, our, pre our priesthood atrophies because we have given into the lie that we cannot do that. After all, who am I? We're not good enough. Out of fear, we keep silent when we see our brothers and sisters drift into trouble thinking, if I say this, this may be the last thing that I'll ever get to say in this relationship. So let's just talk about approval and community just for a moment. We talk about being faithful family and we talk about being uh, 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 like living on mission a lot here at the church. You and I, we cannot have a healthy community, a healthy church if we're afraid of each other. You guys know this? We cannot do this healthily the way the Lord wants us to do this if we're afraid we're gonna disappoint one another if we're afraid that this is the last time that I'll be able to ever be able to talk to you if I offend you if we're afraid of one another's rejection, this is always gonna be south, if it is south. And I'm not saying it is, but it will always be south if we can't relate to one another without a mask and just approach one another with the truth in love and go, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I need to repent here. But I've noticed this. Could you help me understand X, Y, or Z? Or when you said this, could you help me understand X, Y or Z, or when I saw you treat your children that way, or when I saw you treat your husband or wife that way. Hey, I just, two elders rebuked me this week. Praise God for the elders, amen? Two of them rebuked me this week. The other one rebuked me in silence. He just, he just shut me out of his life is basically what happened. 
Two elders rebuked me, rebuked me for this, uh, this week for saying the wrong thing the wrong way, and really what they knew was that my heart was not right with the Lord. Praise God for the elders of this church to do that with me. Guess what? They didn't wait for lunch or when I was going to die to do it. One of them picked up the phone immediately and called me. The other one texted me immediately. And I wasn't offended because we weren't face to face. You know why? Because it was right. Praise God. That creates health in me and in you. You see, Ephesians 4 says that we would be a people that speak the truth in love to one another so that we might grow up in Christ. We will always then be immature if we do not learn to speak the truth in love, in love to one another. Not about one another, but to one another. So we've got to understand that we cannot simultaneously serve the idol of approval and have a healthy community in which we want to live. We also cannot be faithful friends or fruitful missionaries if we serve the idol of approval. It is not possible in both cases, whether we are talking about people that are in Christ or people that have yet to come to Christ, we are faced with the continual choice. Will I say what I need to say right now in whatever way that I can say it? Or will I withdraw? Like it seems to me in the American church that the Lord always tells us that this isn't our place because there's conflict. And yet, Maybe the Lord is telling us this is your place because there's conflict. One of the things I love about uh, one of our friends, Tim Wetzel, in our church, I don't even know where he's at right now. This is not planned, but here you go. One of the things I love about Tim is that the first time he came to our neighborhood group, there was conflict. And they were just fighting in our, in our group over, over something. And, and, and he walked away from that. He was not a believer at the time. And he saw that and he goes, dude, this is the most authentic thing I've ever seen. It's beautiful. I was like, what world are you in right now? Praise God that even the Lord uses donkeys some days. Thank you. That's the most beautiful, most authentic thing I've ever seen. I was like, okay, yeah. yeah we were doing that for that. But look, if we, because sometimes just being real with one another and being messy to, with one another is the most authentic and attractive thing unto Christ that we could do. But those people in that neighborhood group, and I pray for us along the way, they were not going to fake it. They were gonna speak the truth to one another, however they felt, even if it was wrong, be able to come back and go, you know what, my bad. You know what, me too. Let's work on this together. So if we're gonna talk about approval and rejection inside of community, let me break this down in three main quotes. One from a really good book and the other, one from the book of, the other two from the book of Proverbs. When t- speaking about community and friendship, this is my favorite quote, I think. I, I, I told uh, Chris, just put it on in ProPresenter and leave it there because I'll refer to it again. It's from a guy by the name of Paul Waddell, and I get that that's very small behind you. Is that small behind you? I will read it to you. Look at this. Look at the trap that we could be walking into. If we suspect the foundations of a relationship are fragile, we will say anything but the truth because we fear that the truth will only expose how frail the relationship really is. Is. In other words, if you can't speak the truth to one another, you're not really friends. You're pretending to be a friend. In such situations, people can be cheerful and friendly to one another. And outside observers, man, they seem full of care for one another. But they have an unspoken agreement. Never to be completely truthful with one another because they know that the bond of their relationship is so threadbare that the weight of the truth would snap it. 
that doesn't hit you, the Lord's word will. See, Paul Waddell knows that there's a trap. The writer of Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Are you safe? You're not safe until you put your trust in the Lord instead of another's approval. The trap is, and this is what Paul had a deep conviction over, that I pray we have a deep conviction over, that people's approval was less important than being found safe in the Lord. He was therefore not ensnared by the lie that his worth was based on his good performance, which was the right words at the right time, at the right tone, through the right medium, and therefore was not mastered by it. His master was better. If Proverbs 29 doesn't do it for you, perhaps Proverbs 27 will do it for us, which is a great verse for me. It's been misused in my life and hopefully it's being reused and redeemed in my life. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Would we be vulnerable enough to be like, bro, I don't know, sister, I don't know. Or will we sit back and be like, love you, you're good, knowing they're not. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Even if it causes our friends temporary pain, better is open rebuke than spineless pats on the back and empty words of encouragement. Paul knew that. He knew what it meant to be a friend. And so he speaks the truth to the believers in Galatians. He was ready to wound for the sake of their growth and not just his own. And I would ask us, are we willing to do that? It's in those moments of both being family and being on mission that we are faced with fear and faith and our formation is on the other side of fear. If we would be faithful, we will notice a few things about how life works. Number one, silence stunts our growth. What I loved about what Shane was saying was that he's an introvert and that he uses that as an excuse not to be obedient to the Lord. Silence stunts our growth and yet if we would open our mouth and be faithful to what God has given us, we will find that we will grow and that God is faithful. What we'll also find if we will be faithful in these things is that others aren't as sensitive as we made them out to be in our lives. But instead, they're usually open to hearing rebuke. They're usually open to, man, I didn't know that about me. More stuff that comes as a result of being faithful in these things. We will find respect and depth. We will find that Jesus is faithful. And I don't know about you, but when I see my savior, Jesus, and he stands in front of one of his best friends who would later chop off the sword of a soldier, uh, the ear of a soldier with a sword, and he calls that man Satan. I've never been called Satan by one of my friends. Jesus called one of his best friends Satan. That is your savior. Is also mine. When we have the things of man before the things of God, be ready for that open rebuke because he loves us, he cares for us. So let me end with how Paul ends. We'll break and take communion. Paul had one hope. Paul had one hope to get him beyond an approval idol. What was it? Right there in the last part of Galatians 1.10. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, we sing about being owned by God. We sing that song, Relent. My life is not my own. 
That is our only hope. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 that, he was, that we are bought with a price, purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. See, Jesus is Paul's master, which was good news. He was his slave or his servant. That's the word that's used when he says, I am the Lord's servant. That means that Jesus purchased Paul out of a previous slavery. That previous slavery being unto sin and death and Satan, and Paul knew that. And so when he gets purchased out of that darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, there is nothing that will stop him from being obedient to his master. What will stop us? Forgetting that we've been purchased and also forgetting that he's our God and king. And not only is our king and our master, but he's good and he's our dad and he loves us. And he sent his only son to die for us, to bring us into the kingdom so we could sit at the table and enjoy blessing after blessing. And we're going to shrink back from that church. May we never... May we never find ourselves so on the side of Galatians. I'm so astonished that you would desert him. You foolish Galatians. Don't add unto the gospel. It's free. It was given to you. Believe. Walk in freedom. Get those spies out of here. Bear fruit of the Spirit. That's what Paul was, was before him this entire time, that his, 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 his master was Jesus, but that his dad, his father, was slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he's faithful, and he's true, and he's present, because all the things that were given to the Israelites as they were looking at Kadesh Barnea and going, man, I don't know, same things were given to us when he said to us on the mountain in Matthew 28, hey, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, Go make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. I am with you. Will we believe that, church? Both in speaking the truth to one another and also inviting other people to follow Jesus in all of life. For Paul, the only thing that gave him hope was that he was owned by someone else. And so, that may not give us hope because we're American after all. We like freedom, but the only freedom we will find is when we realize that we are not our own. We have a good king and master. His name is Jesus. And so he's not left us to our own devices. See, that would be slavery. But instead, he has brought us into the family and said, now look, eat. All the grace and mercy you can find at this table is yours in abundance. I wanna hang out with that God. I want to hang out with a God that, that came onto the earth and provided enough wine for like four weeks of another party. I want to, I want to come to that, to, to hang out with that Jesus who didn't do that to, to get everybody drunk, but instead did that to, to signify his unbelievable blessing upon the earth. Because when we get to the end of all things, it's the picture of a wedding banquet where blessing is poured out at the table. When we come to communion here in a little bit, may we remember that blessing. But before we get there, I leave you with the first question of the New City Catechism, which by the way, because this was my wrestle this week. Please, if you're doing one thing this week as a Christian, disciple your children. Sit down with your kids and, and, and just, just teach them a little bit at a time. 
If you don't know where to start, we started in the book of Mark this, this, this semester. If you don't, don't know how to do that, download the New City Catechism, and it's going to ask you questions, and then it'll give you the answer. It's a free app. Tim Keller and his crew created it. This is the first question. Oh, they, there it is. What is our only hope in life and death? And then you can get your kids to memorize a shorter answer than what's about to come up. What is your only hope in life and death? That we are not our own. Do you find hope in that? Do you find hope that you are not your own? But you belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that where your hope lies this week? We will never live free from the approval idol that is ensnaring us, trying to trap us and keep us from the safety that we will find in the Lord if we do not find our hope, our only hope, that we are not our own. Let's pray. Father, may we be a people that realize that we are not our own. We belong to our master. We belong to a dad who's brought us out of the orphanage and brought us into a family. Whereas we were running the other way, he came and found us by the power of his spirit, regenerated our hearts, set a table for us at his, set a place for us at his table and says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, when we struggle with fear and faith, we fail a lot more often than what we would like to admit. But you, O oh Lord, you have a heart and a good pleasure to give us the kingdom that we may speak the truth and love to one another. We might grow up in the faith that we may do all these things because we are not living for the approval of others but for the approval and from the approval of God that we have in Christ. So Father and Holy Spirit, we're gonna walk out of here in a moment after communion and when we do that, there's gonna be a great danger before us and it's not gonna be to keep silent. See, after all this, we get reactive. We're like, oh, I'm gonna go tell that person. Well, the great trap before us now is that we would do what you want us to do thinking that we're getting your approval. That we would go do faithful things, beautiful things, right things in the Lord and we would do that thinking that we're getting some sort of a token from you or a merit from you. But that's not how you roll. Instead, all the merits and all the tokens of grace and mercy and faithfulness and goodness have already been given to us in Christ Jesus. All the, the blessings that you could ever give us, Ephesians 1 would say. Every spiritual blessing has already been given to us and so may we live as fully blessed people for your kingdom, for your glory, and for our good. Help us, O oh Jesus, in Christ's name, amen.